Well, good morning, everyone. I hope you enjoyed my warm-up act, Dave Bechtold. Up from Children's Church. He doesn't get to come up too often, but on occasion, we allow him to come upstairs. We have a lot of modern-day kings. Maybe you've heard of them. Like, for example, Burger King. Home of the Whopper. And how about the king of rock and roll, who we all know is Elvis Presley? Or how about the king of pop, which we all know is Michael Jackson? Or how about the uh, king of queens, who we all know is whoever that is? And how about the king of the hill? I don't know if any of you guys have ever seen Hank and the King of the Hill, I have a particular episode that's close to my heart that I just want to share with you just for a moment. This is the episode where his son Bobby doesn't want to go to youth group anymore. And so he comes to his dad, Hank, and he says to his dad, he says, Dad, I don't want to go to youth group anymore. And his dad's having this very cordial son-to-father conversation with him. And finally, Bobby blurts out, he says, Dad, youth group isn't cool. And Hank takes a step back and he goes, you know what else ain't cool, Bobby? Hail. (laughs) One of my favorite episodes. (laughs) But today I want to talk to you about the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. The only wise God, the only sovereign. We have a lot of kings in our world. Modern day kings and ancient day kings. Funny kings and serious kings. But today the conversation is about the king of kings and the Lord of lords. Israel had many kings as well. You think of King David. King Saul, King Solomon, these three kings of Israel ruled during the height of Israel's influence. Probably never greater wealth or greater uh, army than at that time when David, Saul, and Solomon reigned. The pinnacle of Israel's history. And then, of course, after them came other kings that ultimately destroyed Israel, carried away captives, plundered all their goods. This is the king of Assyria, the king of Babylon, and the king of Persia. These were great and mighty kings. In fact, today the gardens that the king of Babylon uh, built are still considered one of the seven seven, uh, wonders of the world. The king of Assyria was the same way, extended his kingdom all across the then known world. And the king of Persia, likewise. You see, there are many kings in this world, but there is one who is the king of all kings, the Lord of all lords. It says in your Bible, if you have a Bible or something like it, (laughs) it says this in... 1 Timothy chapter 6, our scripture for today, starting at verse 13. I think it's going to, there it is. It says this, 
I charge you in the presence of God who gives life to all things, and of Christ Jesus who testified of the good confession before Pontius Pilate, that you keep the commandments without stain or reproach until the appearing of the Lord Jesus Christ, which he will bring about at the proper time. He who is the blessed and only sovereign, the King of kings and the Lord of lords, who alone possesses immortality and dwells in unapproachable light, whom no man has seen or can see, to him be honor and eternal dominion. Amen. Let's pray together this morning. Lord, we want to say thank you for the things that you want to speak to us today out of your word. Lord, we say thank you for your hand of grace and mercy upon us. Lord, knowing that if you withdrew it even for a moment that our lives would be far different than they are now. So, Lord, we just say thank you for walking with us. We say thank you, as this word was spoken this morning, that you are near, that you are present, that you are close, that you are able to bring about your purposes in this moment. And so, Lord, we pray that the case. We pray that you would minister this morning. We pray that you would show yourself to us. And in that, Lord, let us be changed. Let us leave different than when we came. And we pray it all in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. I want you to look just a moment at this scripture. Paul says to Timothy, first of all, I charge you. This is somewhat of a formal and authoritative phrase where he says, this is serious business now, Timothy. I'm charging you to obey the things that I've spoken to you in this letter. Paul, of course, is speaking to Timothy, a young pastor at Ephesus, how he ought to conduct himself in the household of God, it says in Timothy. How he talks about uh, widows and, and young women and old women and young men and, and old men. And here, near the end, chapter 6, he says simply to him, I charge you, Timothy, to obey the command. And he calls into witness with that God the Father and God the Son. He says, I charge you in the name of God, the giver of life, that one who gives life and the one who sustains life, I'm charging you in his name. And I'm also charging you in the name of Jesus, who gave the good confession before Pilate. Now, you might be thinking, so what is the good confession before Pilate? This is where Jesus comes before Pilate, and Pilate asks him, are you a king? And Jesus says, my kingdom is not of this earth. My kingdom is not of this place. It is a different kingdom than what you're thinking. And he wows Pilate a little bit with his wisdom and insight, and then Pilate asks him again, are you a king? And Jesus says, it is as you say, I am a king. No one could see it, or hardly anyone could see it. No one could see that Jesus had come to earth. In fact, Jesus says it in that portion of Scripture. He says, I came to earth for this purpose, to reign, to bring his kingdom to earth. That even from the Old Testament, Isaiah and others prophesying of the coming king who's, who will sit on the, on the throne of David and whose kingdom will be from everlasting to everlasting. 
And then throughout the gospel, speaking of Jesus and his kingdom often. And finally, that procession into Jerusalem where Jesus is riding on the donkey, fulfilling Old Testament prophecy of the king riding into the city, the king of the Jews riding into the city on a colt. Finally, when he was crucified above his cross, they hung king of the Jews in three different languages, king of the Jews. But we have to know this, that Jesus is more than just an earthly king, although there is part of his kingdom that is truly physical. It is truly physical. He really does reign, as we're going to see here in a moment. He really does reign in the universe. But it's also spiritual. It's something that happens in our hearts when we come and humble ourselves before him, bend a knee, so to speak, and say, Jesus, you are Lord. You are king of my life. I'm taking you off the throne of my life. I'm, I'm taking me off the throne of my life, and I'm putting you on the throne of my life. That's when Jesus reigns. Jesus reigns in our hearts. Jesus reigns wherever he has obedience. Jesus reigns. Wherever he has humility, Jesus reigns. Wherever he can reign in the human condition, Jesus reigns. But he's more than just a king. He is the king of kings, the Lord of lords. It goes on here in this passage. It says this, I charge you to keep the commandments without stain or reproach until the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ, which he will bring about at the proper time. And then this final phrase, he speaks of six qualities of God, six qualities of God. He who is the blessed and the only sovereign, the King of kings and the Lord of lords, who alone possesses immortality and dwells in unapproachable life, unapproachable light, which no man has seen. So he's beginning to describe who this king of kings is. And he says that he is immortal and invisible. And in fact, he says he dwells in inapproachable light. That doesn't mean that God is unapproachable to those that come to him. It simply means this, that his glory is so magnificent that no one can see him and live that his glory is so magnificent, no one can see him. It is unapproachable. It is so brilliant that no one can come near. That is the part of God that we don't often think about. We often think about the part of God where we jump up in his lap and, you know, hug him, Abba, Father, I love you. We often don't think about this side of God who dwells in unapproachable light. The God who is holy, 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 as Isaiah says. These three terms I want to focus on today. He says, first of all, he is the only sovereign. Secondly, he is the king of kings. And then thirdly, he is the Lord of lords. It's those three things that I want to direct your attention to this morning. So first of all, let's look at this phrase. He is the only sovereign. The only sovereign. To be sovereign simply means that you have supreme, absolute, unlimited, and ultimate power. To be sovereign 
means that you possess supreme, absolute, unlimited, and ultimate power. Now, the verse that we use to speak of God's sovereignty, of us unlimitless power, is found in Psalm 115 in the opening verses. I think it's Psalm 115.4, where the psalmist says this, God is in heaven. He does as he pleases. That is our Lord. He is sovereign, but he is not only sovereign. He is the only sovereign. Meaning there is no one that compares. There is no one that comes close. There is nothing in the universe that can stand in his way. Daniel 4.35, all the inhabitants of the earth are accounted as nothing, but he does according to his will in the host of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth. And no one can ward off his hand or say to him, what have you done? When the Bible says he counts the inhabitants of the earth as nothing, he doesn't mean that he doesn't value the inhabitants of the earth. He means that they are nothing as far as his influence, his power, and his sovereignty. The greatest kings of all times cannot stand before the king of kings. In fact, the Bible tells us that that the hearts of kings are like, like rivers in the hand of the Lord, that the Lord directs them wherever he wills. King Cyrus, the, the king of Persia, when the children of Israel was, were still in Babylon, captive in Babylon, and then uh, the Babylonians were overtaken by the Persians. King Cyrus is moved upon by the Lord. Not a God-fearer, not a believer, but moved upon by the Lord. And so the Lord directs King Cyrus to let the people go back to Israel to rebuild the temple and to rebuild the walls. That is God's power over the kings of the earth. He counts them as nothing. At the same time, it is clear from Scripture that God gives his sovereignty away. It is clear from the Bible that God isn't, doesn't choose to be sovereign over every little thing. That much of his sovereignty, if you will, he is given to man. Because it is God's desire that we choose him. It is God's desire that we follow him. And so God has given that bit of sovereignty away. Again, the scriptures record, I have set before you today life and prosperity, death and adversity. If you obey the commands of the Lord your God, then you shall live, and the Lord your God will bless you. So he's given to us, his people, decisions to follow or not to follow. Could he control us? The answer is yes. Could he interrupt our lives? I know preachers used to say in days past, you know, God is a gentleman. He'll never interrupt. I haven't found that to be true. Like, God interrupts me all the time. I have found that God can intervene whenever he wants. Like Paul on the way to Damascus, breathing out murderous lies against the church. And God meets him in a second, knocks him to the ground, changes his life, and Paul is never the same ever again. That's how God intervenes. But most of the time, he chooses not to. Most of the time, he has given his sovereignty away to us. God controls 
whatever he wants to control. And he is sovereign over what he wants to be sovereign over, and he predestines what he wants to be predestined. Some have made the mistake claiming that Jesus or God predestines everything. That he predestines every, every little thing is predestined. If we come down the, the, the podium here and fall down the steps, you know, that was something that God predestined. And if that were happening to me, I would say, thank you, Lord, that that's over. Don't have to go through that again, you know. But that's not the Lord. The Lord gives away his sovereignty. In fact, this is the answer to the problem of evil in the world. I mean, some really stumble over this idea of the, the problem of evil. If God is so good, why is there so much evil in the world? I mean, come on, if your God is so good and he's so strong, why is there so much evil in the world? The answer is simple. Because he has given away much of his sovereignty. He is the king of kings. He is the Lord of lords. He is the only sovereign. He can bring about those things that he wants to bring about. For example, the Bible tells us that Jesus was destined for the cross. Destined for the cross. The Bible affirms that that was going to happen. That that was going to happen. There was nothing that was going to stop that. God had ordained it, and that was coming to pass. The Bible also says this. In this passage found in the book of Isaiah, it says, For I am God, and there is no other. I am God, and there was no one like me, declaring the end from the beginning, and from ancient times things which have not been done, saying, my purposes will be established, and I will, I will accomplish all my good pleasure, calling a bird of prey from the east, the man of my purpose from a far country. Truly I have spoken, truly I will bring it to pass. I have planned it, surely I will do it. So there's these two sides to God's sovereignty. The things that God wants to bring about, he will bring about. If he wants you at point B from point A, you will arrive. Now you might find yourself in the ditch from time to time getting there, but you will arrive. It's like one person once said, I'm going to make it. I might not look like much when I get there, but I'm going to make it. That is God's sovereignty in our lives. Here's the promise of God that sometimes is thought of to be somewhat trite, but I don't think it is trite. It's Romans 8.28. If I could only remember what it says. <laughs> oh, here it is. Some of you know it. He is able to make all things work together for good for those who love the Lord, for those that are called according to his purpose. You see, even though God might give his sovereignty away in many cases, even though while giving his sovereignty away so that we have freedom, that we can freely choose him, but also choose against him, even though God gives us sovereignty away, he promises this. Even though you may end up in the ditch from time to time, he promises this. I can make all those things work together for your good. I can turn all these negative things around and make them work out for your good. Guys, that is a huge promise. 
That is a huge promise. That brings me hope and peace and security. That I know God is at work. God is is intimately at work, but also ultimately at work as well. I don't think we, we shed a single tear that God won't use for his glory. That's our God. That's our God. Sovereign, yes. Gives it away at times, his sovereignty, yes. But ultimately in control. He is the only sovereign. Let me show you how this works. Quick story. A hundred years ago, when I was 20 years old, (laughs) Sandy and I, many of you know this, Sandy and I were married when we were 18. We were high school sweethearts. We, uh, Dated throughout high school. I remember ninth grade asking Sandy to marry me. She rejected me. Uh, But if I'm nothing else, I'm persistent. Uh, And so we dated throughout high school and got married young, which was a mistake. We were telling our children uh, when they got older, we said, you cannot marry till you're 35 years old. (laughs) And so we went through a very, very rough patch and And because of that rough patch, uh, the Lord intervened in our life. Sandy Sandy thought either I'm going to divorce this guy or I'm going to give my life to the Lord. She'd grown up in a pastor's home. She knew the way to the Lord, but she had never accepted him. But when things got tough, she finally turned her life to the Lord. Well, her life was so transformed that it persuaded me of the reality of the gospel. I mean... I mean, Sandy was not a bad person. My wife, Sandy, was not a bad person. But I could see the Holy Spirit in her. I could see God in her. And ultimately, that persuaded me to give my life to the Lord. And when I gave my life to the Lord, the same thing happened. And God transformed me. I mean, he was doing it in a lot of people's lives in those days. We were part of a small revival in our city. and, And many, many of our friends were coming to the Lord. Almost as soon as I came to the Lord, I felt a call into ministry. I don't even know if I'd been in a church yet. And I felt this call into ministry to be, be a pastor. And so I thought, if I'm going to be a pastor, I need to go to college to learn how to be a pastor. And so I sent out to all kinds of different Christian colleges, that sort of thing, and ended, ended up at North Central Bible College in Minneapolis and was there for four years. We were already married. We already had two children. And for the life of me, I could not bring myself to quit my job and go to college. I mean, we were living hand to mouth. How could, how could I quit this income and, and go to college? But on the other hand, I just felt like this was God's rule in my life. I just felt this irresistible drawing and this irresistible pushing to get me in that, in that direction. So I was working at a John Deere implement store. And uh, I was running the the parts department at 20 years old. So you can tell already how badly this place was mismanaged. (laughs) 
So I'm running the parts department, and I'm, I mean, for the life of me, I'm trying to do the best job I can do, but I'm only 20 years old, and, and these farmers that are coming in are, you know, ancient of days. <laughs> and when a farmer comes in to the parts department, you can guarantee he is not happy. Because when a farmer comes into the parts department, he needs a part because something has broke down which he needs urgently. And so one day I'm working in the parts department, in comes a farmer, the gruffest old crusty guy you've ever seen. He's been in many times. The other parts guys didn't enjoy him or like him at all. We all tried to avoid him. He comes in, he says, I need a part for my combine. Okay, what kind of combine do you have? Oh, I have a John Deere 4500 or whatever. So I get out the microfiche, and I put it on the machine, and I, I'm moving around, and I'm looking at the John Deere. Okay, where's the part? Okay, it's right. Okay, is this it? Okay, is this it here? Is this it here? Is that it here? It goes, no, 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 that's not it. I go, what? no, that's not it. You think you guys would know the right part for a John Deere combine. And I'm going through, going through, and going through, and I, I'm, I'm just like, I don't see it. And he goes, did I mention I have an international head on my John Deere combine? <laughs> I'm like, sir, we don't sell international parts. We're a John Deere dealership. And he goes, you guys are so stupid. Every time I come in here, you do something wrong. I can't believe the idiots that manage this place. And he goes off on a tirade. I'm not kidding you, probably 60 to 90 seconds, just up one side and down the other. And as he's in midstream, I reach back, I click off the microfish machine, and I say, get out of this store and don't ever come back. 20 years old. <laughs> and I walk away and he huffs and puffs a little bit and out the door he goes two days later I see him come in into the, into the dealership again walks across over to the manager's office sits down in his office talks to him for about 10 minutes gets up, walks out the door and leaves the next day the manager calls me into the office and says, Greg, this guy tells me this is what happened. Is that what happened? I go, yep, that's what happened. He goes, I'm going to have to let you go. I'm like, are you kidding me? He's like, yeah, we're going to have to let you go. I mean, you can't talk to customers. They're our bread and butter. And can't talk to customers like that. They're our bread and butter and blah, 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 blah. I'm like, okay, I'm done. Here's what happened. Two weeks before that, I'm praying to the Lord. I'm saying, I'm saying, Lord, I can't make this decision. I can't quit my job and go to Bible college. I just can't do it. I just don't have the strength. <laughs> and the Lord says, we'll take care of that. <laughs> so now I'm free to go to Bible college. So I'm unemployed. I'm laying in bed on a I don't know, whatever morning it was, certainly a work day. Sandy's doing daycare downstairs. I can hear the kids coming and that sort of thing. I'm laying in bed. I'm staring up at the ceiling. Am I going to get a job or am I going to go to college? I'm going to get a job, go to college, get a job, go to college. Wh which am I going to do? I can, I can still see it. 1409 Fairway Drive. I'm staring up at the ceiling, orange carpeting. I'm sitting up at the scene and I'm thinking, you know what? 
I'm getting a job. I'm going to get a job. Guys, no fooling. It seemed like at that very moment, it seemed like it was that very moment, the phone rings. Sandy yells up the steps to me, hey, Greg, it's North Central Bible College on the phone. They want to talk to you. I go down, I get on the phone, I say, well, I haven't taken my exams yet, I don't have my financial aid, I don't have any, oh, we'll take care of that, we'll take care of that, we'll take care of it. A month later, I was attending school at North Central Bible College. <laughs> Guys, the story goes on. The story goes on. All along the way, the Lord uh, met me. All along the way, and we didn't have finances, we were so poor, I was working 20 hours a week when I was in school, we didn't have finances, but the Lord met us every place. When we graduated, I gr we both, we, we graduated debt-free, debt-free. That was the Lord's working, and you know what? Between my sophomore and junior year, or junior and, between my junior and senior, somewhere along there, uh, they want you to start sending out resumes to churches to see where, you, where you're, where you're going to end up. And I'm just like, I just don't feel like I can do this. I don't feel like, I just don't know what, what, what could, where I would go or anything. And so I never did a resume, but got an invitation to a church. And since that time, I mean, this is 40 some years ago, since that time, never once filled out a resume for any reason. The Lord's always provided, always provided, always taken to the next place, always taken to the next place. Guys, this is the only sovereign. This is the one who controls the universe. This is the one who gives life and sustains life and keeps life. That is the working of the Lord. Guys, listen, we can trust him. We can trust him with our lives. We can trust him with our dreams. We can trust him in this regard. We can trust him because he is sovereign. Yes, does he give some of his sovereignty away? Yes, he does. But even that he's able to make, to, to work together for our good. But ultimately, if he wants us at point B, guys, that's what we're going to be at point, point B. We can trust him. Number one, he is the only sovereign. Number two, he is the king of kings. The king of kings. As I said earlier, we have many kings in our society. But this phrase speaks of the king of all kings. It's like, it's a superlative term or a term that, that speaks of the, the greatest, the greatest words that could be used. It's the king of kings. It's, it's like in the Old Testament, the Song of Solomon sometimes is referred to as the Song of Songs. The song of all songs, or the holy place in the temple as the holy of holies, or as we'll find out in a moment, the Lord of lords. This is a term that ranks Jesus as the most high. He is the most high king. It is Jesus that can bring the princes to nothing, Isaiah tells us that makes the rulers of the earth emptiness, that by his mere breath can carry them all off like stubble. Please know this. The king of kings and the Lord of lords is already in place. He is already king. He is reigning, as I said earlier, already physically reigning over the universe to direct the universe. But he's also reigning in our hearts in that space that we give him. There is no inch of real estate 
No symbol of power in the world that is not under his rule. God rules it all. But the kingdom is not yet fully realized. We often speak of the kingdom of God as the already not yet. That it's not fully realized. If it were fully realized, we could speak to evil and evil would, would be done. It'd be done in all the earth. We could, that's why we don't always see healings, although we see many healings, because the kingdom of God hasn't come fully yet. So God is reigning. He reigns over every inch of the universe. But again, he has given some of that away, and his kingdom has not been fully realized. That's why we pray. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We want <clears throat> your kingdom to be fully realized on the earth. And we want his kingdom to be fully realized in our lives. Fully realized in our lives. This means, of course, that Jesus must reign in our hearts. When we submit to his rule, give him kingship, he is able to bring his rule into our lives. He can protect, he can provide, he can make a way. But it has to be the Lord. It has to be the Lord. When I was a young believer, the Lord spoke these words to me out of the scripture. Or he says simply something like this. Whoever wishes to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels shall find it. That's been kind of a life verse of mine. And I've always tried to give God more and more and more of my life. Every time there seems like there's something that's outside his rulership, outside his kingship, outside his sovereignty, that I want to bring that in and I want to submit that to him. Again, years ago when I was in college, I was challenged by the Lord in a moment to bring my young family to him and to give my young family to him. Guys, it was really hard. It was really hard. My wife and my, I think, two children at that time, to bring them to the Lord. I mean, this is something that I'd really thought about. <clears throat> I really thought about if I could say with Job, the Lord gives and the Lord takes away, blessed be the name of the Lord, if something had happened to one of my young children after I said, Lord, here, they're yours. I thought, would I really be able to do that? Or, or am I going to kind of hold on to them and hold them near and hold them close and just say, say, Lord, I can't. I can't give them to you for you to do what you want with them. But finally, in a moment during a prayer time, the Lord was bringing this back to me again and again. Finally, in a prayer time, I just laid it all before the Lord and said, Lord, me and my family are yours. Take us, do, do with us what you want. Put us on a shelf, use us greatly, whatever you want. You are going to be praised for it. But guys, that was a hard decision. You want to hear another hard decision? Some of you know that we're in a uh, remodeling project at our house. 
Yes, you've been hearing about this for a while. Currently in year two, most likely will certainly be in year three. So we're doing this remodeling project, moving from room to room to room to room, doing remodeling in our home, and I like doing it all myself. Don't ask me why. People are always trying to talk me into, hey, why don't you get this guy to help you or get that guy to help you? Or, you know, Sandy was asking me this morning, so are you going to pay an electrician to do this? I'm like, well, do you got any extra money? She said no, and so that was the end of that conversation. But I love, I love doing the work myself. Guys, I have touched every nail that has gone into that place. I have touched every piece of lumber. I have touched every piece of trim. I have touched every shingle. I have touched every piece of drywall. I have touched everything that's gone into that place. During one of the storms of this past summer, I thought to myself, this would be tragic if this got blown away in a storm. It would be tragic. No, we have insurance. Insurance would pay for it. We'd be able to rebuild. We'd be able to do all that. But here's the thing. My blood and sweat and tears is in that place. I mean, I've worked on this place in the rain. I've worked on this place in the heat. I've been in the attic 140 degrees, sweating with a, with a, with a uh, 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 flashlight. Flashlight in my mouth, you know, tracking down electrical uh, cords, uh, lines, uh, wires through the attic, trying to track, track these things down, sweat pouring off of me. I've worked in the rain. I've worked in the snow. I remember changing, not this, this past winter, changing a bobcat tire in a blizzard out in the front yard with blizzard swarming around us, and we're tra- trying to change a bobcat tire. Now, you might not be able to understand this, but I had a hard time laying that down before the Lord. We have insurance. It could be replaced. <clears throat> but God, I'd hate to see that. I'd hate to see it two years of my life I've put into this. Blood, sweat, and tears. I'd hate to see that. That was a difficult thing to lay down. But finally, I did. Finally, I laid it down and said, Lord, you can take it. You can do with it what you want. That's yours too. And I brought that in underneath the kingship, the rule, and the authority of Jesus Christ as well. He is the king of kings. He is the Lord of lords. He is able to provide and protect. He's able to bring about his purposes in our lives as good kings, as a good king. But we must get on his program. We must get on his program. We must bring those things underneath his rulership and his kingship. I used to say it this way that, you know, God has a perfect life for us. But the problem is, is that we keep throw, throwing wrenches in the, in the mechanics of it, you know. We'll throw a wrench in here, a wrench in here, and that'll, that'll foul up the works of what God has for us. And then there's consequences to be paid. The key here for God to reign in our life and God to bring about his purpose in our life is to bring those things underneath his rulership, underneath his kingship. And there God can do with them what he wants, making them in to what he wants, giving us that life which he has intended for us. But it begins there, giving him that place in our hearts, that place in our lives bowing a knee before him, saying, Lord, you reign. 
You reign. You are the king. You are the Lord. You are the only sovereign. So we see he's the only sovereign. We see he is the king of kings. And here's this last one. He is also the Lord of lords. The Greek term here is simply master or ruler. In fact, in the New Testament, we see them uh, use the word Lord often, just as a term of respect, like we might say doctor or pastor or something like that, that they would call each other lords. But remember, we're talking about not just the Lord, we're talking about the Lord of lords, the only sovereign, the king of kings. And after Jesus' resurrection, this term Lord began to use signification began to be used signifying deity. That it wasn't just a formal greeting. It was like Thomas, when Jesus appeared before the disciples that were gathered there. And then they went and they told Thomas, hey, we've seen the Lord. And Thomas says, I won't believe it until I put my hands in his Uh, in his hands, in the holes in his hands, and my finger in his side. And then eight days later, Jesus comes and appears to him and says, here I am. Here I am, Thomas. Put Put your fingers in these holes. Put your finger in my side. And Thomas responds, my Lord and my God. My Lord and my God. He's not greeting him as a, as a, as a gesture. He is saying, you are Lord. You are Lord. And how about on Peter's sermon on the day of Pentecost where he says, let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. He is speaking of the Lord Jesus Christ as deity that he is indeed our Lord. And if he is our Lord, that means certain things. Romans 10, 9, maybe a verse that is familiar to many of you. If you declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. If you declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. In saying Jesus is Lord, we commit ourselves to obeying him. By saying Jesus is Lord, we commit ourselves to obeying him. You'll remember in Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, he says something similar to this. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do what I say? The two are antithetical to each other. If I'm going to be Lord, that means you're going to be the servant. This is Christianity 101. He is God, and we are not. So if he is Lord, that must mean then we become his servants. That is the place we come to where we declare, God, you are who you said you were. Jesus, you are who you said you are. Uh, You are God. You are Lord. And so we come in submission to him. You call me Lord, Lord, and do not do what I say. The implication is that as Lord, we follow him. 
as Lord, we do what he wants. He is our Lord. And so we come, bow a knee, humble ourselves, say, Jesus, take your rightful place. If we confess him as Lord, we commit to serving him alone. That him alone is on the throne. The Bible tells us that no one can serve two masters. He will either love one and hate the other. Jesus says, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these other things will be added unto you. If he is Lord, then he must have first place. Like one person said, if he is not Lord of all, then he is not Lord at all. He has come to have first place. That means everything else gets put behind. You know, in the New Testament, and outside the New Testament for that matter, but in the New Testament, the Bible tells us to honor rulers. The Bible tells us to pay our taxes. Outside the New Testament, during the reign of Nero in the first century, Christians were asked to call Caesar Lord. That was their... That was their right to admittance into the kingdom, if you will. That they had to confess that Caesar was Lord. But the Christians of the day could not do it and would not do it. That they would not give that place to Caesar even with their words, much less with their actions. Because if Jesus is not Lord of all, he's not Lord at all. They weren't going to give him that place. They weren't going to give him that honor. And so many died for their faith just because of that. In saying that Jesus is Lord, we commit to absolute surrender. The Bible tells us, for if we live, we live to the Lord, and if we die, we die to the Lord. Therefore, whether we live or die, we are the Lord's. For this, is for this and Christ died and rose and lived again, that he might be Lord both of the dead and the living. Whether we live, we are the Lord's. Whether we die, we are the Lord's. Whatever we do, we are the Lord's. He is our master. He is our king. He is our ruler. Someday, we'll all submit to this truth. The Bible tells us that God exalted himself to the highest place and gave Christ the name that is above every name. That at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. He is the Lord. He is reigning now, but he can reign more in our hearts as we bring things in submission to him. One final thing today I want to read to you. This is... a. Uh, this is a, not really an article. I think it's a part of a message that Dr. King or Dr. S.M. Lockbridge called My King wrote, and I want to read that to you. And if the worship team is close by, maybe they could come up as well. Get ready. Oh, there we go. My King from S.M. Lockbridge. The Bible says my king is a seven-way king. He's a king of the Jews. That's a racial king. He's the king of Israel. That is a national king. He's the king of righteousness. He's the king of the ages. He's the king of heaven. He's the king of glory. 
He's the king of kings, and he is the Lord of lords. That is my king. My king is a sovereign king. No means of measure can define his limitless love. No far-seeing telescope can bring into visibility the coastline of his shoreless supply. No barrier can hinder him from pouring out his blessings. He, in, he is enduringly strong, entirely sincere, eternally steadfast. He is immortally graceful. He is imperially powerful. He is impartially merciful. Do you know my king? He's the greatest phenomenon that ever crossed the horizon of this world. He's God's son. He's a sinner's savior. He's the centerpiece of civilization. He stands in solitude of himself. He's august. He's unique. He's unparalleled. He's unprecedented. He's the loftiest idea in literature. He's the highest personality in philosophy. He's the supreme problem in higher criticism. He's the fundamental doctrine of true theology. He's the cardinal necessity for spiritual religion. He's the miracle of the age. He's the superlative of every good that you choose to call him. He's the only one qualified to be an all-sufficient savior. I wonder if you know my king. He supplies strength to the weak. He's available for the tempted and the tried. He sympathizes and saves. He strengthens and sustains. He guards and he guides. He heals the sick. He cleanses the leper. He forgives sinners. He discharges debtors. He delivers captives. He defends the feeble. He blesses the young. He serves the unfortunate. He regards the aged. He rewards the diligent. And he beautifies the meek. I wonder if you know my king. Well, my king is the king. He's the key to knowledge. He's the wellspring to wisdom. He's the doorway of deliverance. He's the pathway of peace. He's the roadway of righteousness. He's the highway of holiness. He's the gateway of glory. Do you know my king? Well, his office is manifold. His promise is sure. His light is matchless. His goodness is limitless. His mercy is everlasting. His love never changes. His word is enough. His grace is sufficient. His reign is righteousness. And his yoke easy and his burden is light. I wish I could describe him to you, but he is undescribable. He's incomprehensible. He's invincible. He's irresistible. Well, you can't get them out of your mind. You can't get them off your hand. You can't outlive them, and you can't live without him. The Pharisees couldn't stand him, but they found they couldn't stop him. Pilate couldn't find any fault in him. The witnesses couldn't get their testimonies to agree. Herod couldn't kill him. Death couldn't handle him. And the grave couldn't hold him. That's my king. He is the king of kings and the Lord of lords. To him be honor and glory and power forever and ever. Amen. Let's go ahead and stand together this morning.
If you would just bow your heads and shut yourselves in with the Lord. You're here this morning, you follow that distance for quite some time. Like my wife, Sandy, you've known the way, but you've never fully brought yourself under the Lordship of Jesus Christ. You've never taken yourself off the throne of your life and replaced him, replaced that with King Jesus. You haven't recognized him as the only sovereign because you have been the sovereign of your life. But this morning, you want to change all that. You can do it in this moment. You can do it in this moment. You don't have to be baptized. You don't have to join a church. You don't have to do anything else. But in your heart of hearts, say this. Jesus, come in and forgive my sins. I make you my Lord, my master, my savior, my king this day. By your grace and mercy, I will live to serve you and serve you alone. Forgive me of my sin. Bring me to heaven when this life is over. And pour out your blessing now in my life, I pray in Jesus' name. And maybe you're here today, and it's been a while since you've thought about Jesus' lordship and kingship over your life. And this morning you realize that some of the things that have held you back, some of the things that have come against you in this life is because you have failed to bring these things into his rulership. But this morning you want to do that. I want to pray for you as well this morning. Lord, I want to say thank you for bringing us together in this place. I want to say thank you for touching us by your word and transforming us, for not leaving us alone and pursuing us. God, I'm praying for the one, the hardest of hearts this morning, the one who's tried to get back, tried to get back, tried to get back, tried to get back, and then fallen, fallen by the wayside, tried to get back, fallen by the wayside. Lord, let it be different this time. Let it be this different. Let them be transformed this time, Lord. Let old things pass away, and behold, all things become new. And by your grace, strength, and power, Lord, let them live the life that they've desired and you've attend, intended for them. Lord, let that be the case. Lord, we're going to give you thanks for all these things. Send us out from this place now, ready, willing to be your ambassadors of the kingdom in this world. And we're going to give you praise for it. We pray it all in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Okay, guys, this is how we're going to end. We're going to have prayer teams up here. If you want prayer, they're going to come forward. If you're giving your life to the Lord for the first time this morning, I'd love to pray with you. I'll be standing right here at the front. Come up and we'll pray together.